his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We have a great show ahead of us today. We'll talk oil, gold, inflation, get a technical analysis of financial markets. And then later in the show, we're going to bring our crypto guy, Bill Uliveri, on. We're going to wrap up the volatile week for cryptocurrencies. I'm Andy Gersher. This is Gaines. I'm bringing on one of our go-to guys, especially when we're talking uh, financial markets and technical analysis. Uh, Let's bring in Jim Welsh. Macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. Uh, Jim's website is macrotides.com. Hey, Jim, glad to have you on. Always great to be with you, Andy. You know, let's just start with uh, your take on markets. Um, We've been saying this for a while now, pretty close to all-time highs. Where do you see markets right now? And let's take a look at them technically. Yeah, I think the S&P 500 will probably push higher in the very short term. Uh, I've been expecting a move above the recent high, which was uh, 47.18, Andy, maybe getting up towards uh, the 47.50. Then I think we're due probably a 4% or so correction between now and year end. And then I expect that the market will push higher as we get into the first quarter of next year with the S&P getting up near 4,800 to 4,900. After that is when I think the market will be vulnerable to a 10 to 15% correction. Uh, so I think relatively smooth sailing between now and uh, early next year. And then I think uh, people are going to have to pay attention. I think a lot of the gains listeners, as we're going through the process, this journey of learning financial markets, stocks, and, and everything that's involved here, I, I think for our listeners, how did you come up with the this you know when when you when you look at markets from a technical side and you're looking at levels and folks you're going to want to take these levels down we'll have Jim go through them again but from a technical analysis standpoint how do you come up with those uh numbers or or those particular levels that you're looking at? Um, Well, some of it is just uh, an analysis, Andy, of a chart price, and it doesn't matter if it's the S&P or corn. Uh, The recent low in early October at 4280 on the S&P, if you look at the chart, you can see a move up to 4430, pull back to 4330, and then the push up to last week's high at 4718. So that looks like a big one, two, three, the pullback we saw in the middle of last week would be wave four, and that's why I think there's another move up uh, to a higher high and then have a correction. So in other words, advancing moves happening in five-wave fashions, 
corrections typically pull back in a down bounce down to a lower level before you rally. So I don't want to get too wonky about it, but using price chart and an analysis of price patterns and identifying support and resistance and so forth is, you know, to me, key uh, in trying to anticipate what's likely to happen next. And with so now when you're looking at markets, are you are you coming up with your forecast based totally on technicals or are there some other fundamentals or indicators that you use as well? Yeah, good question. And yeah, for me, I always want to try to uh, align when possible the fundamental uh, perspective. And so my take for months, I mean, since last spring, was that inflation was going to run uh, hotter and be more persistent, that it would not be transitory. And I think as we get into early next year, we're going to continue to see inflation well above the Fed's 2% target range. And that's why I think sometime in the first quarter, there's a chance that the Federal Reserve will actually increase the monthly tapering from $15 billion to $20 billion because I think they've lost a fair amount of credibility. You know, Powell and company all were saying transitory, transitory, when from my perspective, it was clear that that wasn't going to be the case. So by raising the taper amount, I think potentially they can establish hey, we are going to react if necessary if inflation runs hotter than expected. Uh, you know, COVID could also play a, a role. So, you know, this is where I try to do the marriage between technical analysis and fundamentals. There's issues out there that potentially, um, you know, can cause a pullback. And it's just a question of uh, when the technicals align. If we get up to that 48, 4900 level, you know, my expectation is we'll see uh, the technicals, technicals start to show some weakness. And, you know, that's when the two sides work together. And that reinforces, to me, an outlook in terms of looking for a correction of 10 to 15 percent. So it's kind of like driving a car, uh, Andy. You, you keep your eyes focused on the 100 feet in front of your grill so you can navigate the twists and turns. So I don't want to get too far ahead, but I want to make sure I have a, a framework to operate in. And that's basically what I've just described. You're one of the first people to even mention that there would be any kind of pullback. I've been talking to a, a ton of people. I've been actually talking about this for a couple of weeks now that it's difficult for me, a producer of the noon business hour to find anybody who doesn't love the markets right now, doesn't see it going or doesn't, or is buying into the inflation uh, story, sees markets going much farther uh, just due to that inflation and all the stimulus that's, that's, entering markets. And then also we have, uh, you know, this infrastructure. So um, it's kind of refreshing to hear that you are seeing uh, potentially a pullback uh, a little farther down the road. Explain uh, what the fundamentals behind that uh, to give you that kind of view. Yeah, I think the other aspect, uh, uh, Andy, is that if inflation continues to push higher than expected, the Fed has to mount some kind of uh, response to retain credibility. And, you know, my guess is that the Fed will do something. The markets also will start to anticipate and start talking about, hey, wait a second, the Fed's going to start raising rates sooner in 2022, maybe by more than what we anticipate. And, you know, I'm not ready to go there yet. I mean, the Fed is waiting for the labor market to show more and more improvement. I think the next mistake they will make is that the slack in the labor market that they think is there really isn't. 
So that's why wages, I think, are going to be critical in terms of pushing the Fed. Um, but the main point is the Fed isn't going to try to push the economy over a cliff uh, at all. So I think there's the potential that as we see the markets correct, plus um, the CPI and all the uh, inflation data is a 12-month rate of change, basically, Andy. So if we look back to April and May of 2021, you know, there was one month where used car prices were up more than 10%. Well, that means when we get to April, May of 2022, we're going to subtract that 10% increase on used car prices um, from those calculations. And there's a bunch of other things also that were up very strongly in the second quarter of this year that are going to start pulling back. So I think the Fed is going to get, if you will, some confirmation that the worst of inflation will be behind us as we get into the second quarter, which if people started to worry about the Fed raising rates more aggressively than expected, that will alleviate that concern. So my guess here is that we get a correction of 10 to 15 percent sometime beginning in the first quarter, maybe into early second quarter. And then I think the market's going to rally and make another new all time high, uh, you know, mid next year, third quarter of next year, where the S&P will get above 5000, maybe 5500, some number. Um, So I don't look at that correction next year being the end of the bull market. It is just an interruption. Plus, sentiment has gotten wildly bullish. Uh, People, as you just noted, it's hard to find anybody to talk negative about the market. And markets have a tendency to top when you have high levels of optimism. And I think that's another component of why a correction early next year, after some additional early uh, strength in January, uh, would kind of fit all those pieces together. This gains podcast is all about crypto, making the big gains, uh, the meme stocks, um, just finding where we can, you know, and, and again, we, we realize that we have, you know, conservative investors and, and that's yep. one thing, but then often we talk about the big gains, the lottery tickets, the more, uh, <laughs> volatile stuff, knowing that it's risky. Where do you see in the market, uh, Jim, where, uh, you know, the gains listener can look for some real, reach for some real gains, some real yield? Well, about three, four weeks ago, I think I did, you know, on the new business hour, uh, an interview, and I recommended the gold stocks uh, and gold uh, because it was a fair amount lower than it is today. I think gold was around 1730 GDX, which is a, uh, you know, an ETF for gold stocks, was, I think, around $30. I think that has the potential to get up towards 37 to 38 early in the first quarter. And I think gold will have the opportunity to get above $1,915, uh, which was an area of resistance. So uh, you know, that's an area that I think will benefit as the inflation news you know, continues to be hot and heavy. Uh, I think we're starting to see investors listen to that. You know, in, Would that in include oil it, in that uh, equation as well? You know, no. Uh, I think that's a whole different dynamic. You know, oil hasn't uh, necessarily responded to inflation. And I think one of the things that happened during the summer and early fall was everyone wanted to believe that Jay Powell would be right about inflation being transitory. Plus, Uh, I expected the dollar to bottom in late May, early June, uh, as it was trading just above 89. And I still think it's going up to 100 over the next year. 
but it's getting near the 50% retracement of the decline from the March 2020 high to the low in January of this year is 96.09. So I think the dollar is nearing a short-term high. And if I'm right, and the dollar corrects down towards 94.50 or so, which was a breakout level on the dollar chart, that might provide a tailwind for gold going into early next year. So, which, by the way, um, gold has really done very little uh, yep. comparatively to situations that we've seen in the past. Usually in these kind of inflationary situations, you would have really seen gold take off. I often wonder if uh, crypto is is taking some of the action away from gold. What are your thoughts I on that? I think you're right. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, there's a speculative money that's out there wanting to chase whatever is moving. And crypto has obviously been moving uh, very strongly. So uh, I think I think crypto is going to have a correction here. I think the low 60s to mid 60,000 level on Bitcoin, I think it's going to pull back to the 50, 55,000 range. And so some of the money that's been chasing that has the potential to uh, move over toward gold. Um, but I, I do think the narrative that inflation actually is going to be an issue is going to start to pull money toward gold. And if the dollar pulls back even modestly, I think that will be another tailwind for gold. So going into early next year, we, uh, let me back. There could be a little bit more weakness. Gold could pull back toward the 1830 to 1850 level. Uh, that was a breakout level that happened in the last two weeks. So a lot of times things will break out above resistance, you know, prior highs, then pull back to, if you will, test that breakout before they resume the trend. And I think gold could do that over the next week or so. Pull back to 1835 and then move higher. I think it's going to get above 1915. And that opens the door to, you know, another move up towards maybe 2000. So I, I like the way all that's falling together. Is the expo is the best way to get exposure uh, to gold through uh, like an ETF, or do you like the miners? Or yeah. um, well, you're always you know, going to get more delta. Even hold the physical. Yeah, you're you're really going to get more delta always with the gold miners. Uh, they go down more when gold goes down, and they go up more than gold goes up. So the gold stocks typically, you know, provide a little bit more juice. I would split it based on somebody's risk tolerance. Have X amount. Uh, of uh, gold, and I, the easiest way to me is the ETF IAU, which is the gold ETF, which is tied to the underlying metal, and then GDX um, for the, the gold stocks. And if you really want to get aggressive, you go with the GDXJ, which is the junior gold stocks. Uh, they'll move more than GDX. Um, so really, people just have to decide what is the risk tolerance uh, because the volatility in the gold stocks isn't for the you know faint of heart. And, and we like that because uh, that activity gives us a little juice, and we love uh, trying to make the gains with it. Um, so you said yep. gold to play. You see crypto as a little topsy right now. What yeah. other areas of the market can you make some broad calls on? Uh, well, if I'm right, uh, you know, I've been looking for uh, Treasury yields in late October to come down. Uh, there was a technical non-confirmation, and this is something for people to kind of pay attention to in various markets. Uh, the 10-year yield made a higher high in the second half of October than in the first half, but the 30-year didn't uh, make a higher high. So what that was suggesting to me was that we were near a short-term high in Treasury yields. They were going to come down. Uh, I think we have a little bit more to go on the downside with Treasury yields. 
but I think we're going to see yields start to turn up. And that would create weakness, I think, in the mega cap stocks. Uh, and is one of the reasons why a correction um, is coming, at least in the first quarter, because I do think Treasury yields ultimately next year will get above their March 22 high, uh, 2020 high part, make that 2021 high. On the 10-year, that was about 176, and on the 30-year was 250. So I think the longer-term trend on yields are up, but we may see a little bit more dip, and then they go up. And as yields go up, that will have a tendency of pressuring the high beta stocks uh, and the high capitalization stocks, which are the mega cap stocks. So that's another reason why I think in the first half of next year, there's a pullback coming. uh, And I think it could be led by the mega cap stocks, the NASDAQ 100. One thing I'll mention, yesterday and today, the the NASDAQ 100 made new all-time highs. But about 45% of the index, Andy, is five or six stocks. So what's happening is there's an enormous amount of call buying focused on those five or six stocks, which is forcing those stocks to rise as the dealers who sell those calls hedge their positions by buying the underlying stock. Uh, Yesterday, there were over 400 new lows on the NASDAQ. So you're really getting this bifurcation again where some stocks are doing well, and since they have great weightings in the S&P and the NASDAQ 100, they're pulling those averages up to new all-time highs. Underneath the surface, there's a lot of stocks that had a pop uh, after the low in early October, but are already starting to roll over. And that's, an, again, another reason why I think we're getting set up for a deeper correction after some you know, early strength in January. It's interesting that you mentioned that because sometimes those big indexes move higher because you mentioned that they're weighted. So certain stocks carrier, carry their, their, their price. Yeah carrier carries a heavier weight in the index. Um, And so a lot of times you'll have something that might be up, but it's only a handful of leaders while the rest of the uh, stocks in that particular basket are secretly kind of under the radar heading lower. Explain that dynamic. Well, we're seeing it more pronounced in the last year than I've seen it maybe going back the last 30 or 40 years. Um, Normally, most sectors move together. Uh, Most averages make new highs at the same time. And when they don't make new highs at the same time, like I mentioned with the 10 and 30-year Treasury yields, that's often a warning sign. So, um, again, what's happening here is great concentration in the mega cap stocks, and it's understandable. They've done really, really well. The Apples, Microsoft, Facebook, and so forth, they are great companies, and they're, they have done really, really well. So money is gravitating there. What's happening with the options trade, and this is over the last year, uh, for about 10 years, the average number of call volume per day was 10 million. We've been between 25 and 30 million for chunks of time this year. So what's happening is I can't afford to buy Microsoft or uh, Amazon and Apple and so forth. But I can buy call options that give me the right to buy 100 shares of uh, those stocks, and I'll I'll be able to pay maybe 5 bucks if I go 10% or more above where it's currently trading. So what's been happening is these groups of folks in Reddit and other chat rooms get together. Okay, we're jumping on calls for Tesla or whatever the stock may be. They buy these way-out-of-the-money calls, and that just feeds this whole process because the dealers who sell those calls to those folks – are now effectively short the stock. 
they have to hedge themselves, and that requires more buying or long positions being established in the underlying stock. So this has truly, um, you know, basically driven uh, some of the trading action so far this year. Um, now, that will cease. At some point in time, those folks are going to get run over bad enough that they won't play that game. But it, over the last year, it really has had a pronounced effect on the market. I look at that as being unhealthy, both from a speculative standpoint and, as you noted, a lot of stocks underneath the surface just aren't participating. Uh, on the New York uh, today, the New York Composite, there were more new lows than new highs. That is not a sign of a healthy market uh, within points of a new all-time high. So these well, are the are things that I think people— What are you usually looking for in that kind of situation? What, what, I mean, obviously you mentioned that's not very healthy at all, but yeah. what would you be looking for in that type of situation uh, when we're at all-time highs? What are you looking from the rest of the market? Okay, to, to one of the that? things that I think is helpful for those who get into some of this stuff, Andy, is a— a five-day and a 13-day moving average on the S&P 500. Now, I use exponential moving averages, and people can look up how to do that. But it's a price filter in effect. When the five-day is above the 13-day, it's showing you that the short-term trend is positive. And until it crosses below the 13-day, you got to consider the trend up. That's the case with uh, the S&P and the NASDAQ. The Russell 2000, its five-day average crossed below the 13-day yesterday and i could you know there's probably some of the other averages did that as well so that's a filter to kind of say all right the market keeps working higher the two strongest averages s p and the nasdaq keep going up even while these other averages falter what it suggests is once those two averages roll over i doubt the NAS the russell 2000 and the broad market will pick up uh, the slack so those are just to me clues in terms of anticipating a correction and then the crossover between the 5 and 13 kind of confirms that you're headed into a correction. And explain real quick, Jim, I, the Russell 2000, you just mentioned it there, tons of smaller companies. And I think that gives you a little broader view of what's happening on the ground. Um, explain how uh, the Russell 2000 will often either lag or, or run higher than some of the broader markets and what that tells you. Well, you're right. I mean, when the economy is strong, uh, the small cap stocks usually do pretty good. And uh, at the same time, you know, they're vulnerable because a lot of them, almost a third of the small cap stocks aren't profitable. So you have to understand that, all right, we're not talking about the strongest sector. Uh, the Russell 2000 actually peaked in March, uh, last March, and went sideways until it broke out in early November. So, again, I, I just advocate looking at multiple market averages. Don't just look at the Dow or S&P, NASDAQ, and 100. Look at New York Composite, the Value Line Composite, the Russell 2000, because that's when you start to get an overall view. It, it's like a car engine, Andy. If all of our cylinders in the car are, are working together, the car drives very smoothly. When one or two of the cylinders get out of sync with the other cylinders, hey, you're going to have a rough engine, and it's not going to feel very good. And that's the analogy I use in terms of looking at various uh, averages and seeing if they're all moving up in lockstep, that is a really, really healthy market. When they stop doing that, you have to become a little bit more sector-orientated uh, to be able to weed out the sectors that are underperforming. 
And I do a lot of work on sectors. We don't have time to go into that today, maybe some other time. But uh, that's the way I try to scale it, is looking at the major market averages, see how they're performing, and then also look at sectors to identify which sectors are leading the charge. All right. So we'll leave it there um, for now and and, and continue the uh, discussion later on down the road. We'll uh, bring you on pretty regularly. Uh, Shameless plug time. Be sure to subscribe. Follow and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, if that's an option. And also subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when we drop a new episode, we'll have a new episode out on Tuesday. So you'll be uh, sure to want to tune back in. As far as plugs for you, Jim, we always bring you on as macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. And we always plug the website, macrotides.com. Um, any other plugs you'd like to get in here? Any special things for the GAINS listener? Well, I, I do produce two different reports. We've kind of touched on the fundamental side of the equation. I really go in deep depth uh, as I've done with inflation and some other things over the last six, eight months in, in my monthly macro tides. And then every week I do a weekly technical review where I talk about uh, stocks, bonds, uh, gold, uh, the dollar, occasionally like oil. A few weeks ago I thought oil was topping out at about $83 a, a barrel. Um, and so that focuses more on the technical side, but I always am weaving in some fundamental stuff. So that's how I try to cover and provide, you know, current and timely information on a weekly basis to subscribers and then the bigger picture in the monthly letter. All right. And we'll, uh, you know, I encourage uh, people to check out macrotides.com. That's Jim Welsh, macro strategist, portfolio manager, smart portfolios out of San Diego. Hey, great to have you on, Jim. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, Andy. Have a great Thanksgiving and uh, good wishes to all your listeners. All right. We're going to be right back talking cryptocurrencies. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll bring on our crypto guy, Bill Uliveri. So hang tight and we'll be right back after the spot. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. <laughs> But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. 
right, it's cryptocurrency time, and we're bringing in one of our key crypto guys, Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management in Glenview. His website, senecalcapital.com, C-E-N-A-C-L-E, capital.com. Hey, Bill, always great to have you on. What a crazy week for uh, crypto. I know, I know. It's uh, It's been all over the place, certainly. We had would appear to be really sound, you know, rallying and strength in the market just pulled back to what, like 55,000 from 63, 66,000. Um, yeah. And that so, was, yeah. Uh, you know, that's Bitcoin there. And, uh, you know, we're currently uh, at this taping at about 57,000. Uh, it's been all over the place, just kind of shows the volatility of crypto and um, how, you know, a, a lot of this stuff, it's lottery tickets, we're in it for the long run. So, um, you know, anybody who's been in crypto for a while, this is nothing new. That's for sure. As a matter of fact, that's kind of what attracts us to it, because without risk, you have no reward. If you don't want to take risk, put your money in a checking or savings account earning 0.04. And good luck with that, with inflation at running 6 or 7%. Who knows really what the inflation rate is today, but uh, yeah, and, inflation and is not transitory. <laughs> certainly isn't the one to put uh, money in a, a low uh, interest account and forget about it. So let's talk about the juice. Um, we promised the last time you were on, Bill, that uh, we would share some go-to resources, maybe a couple must-read books about crypto and crypto markets. Um, so let's just start things off here on the book side. Uh, Bill, if there is a must-read on cryptocurrencies, what's uh, what's the first suggestion you would uh, make, uh, Bill? I think for the first read for people getting into cryptocurrency would be Blockchain Revolution by Don and Alan Tapscott. Uh, that book was one of the first books I read. I believe it was first published around 2016, 2017. Don Tapscott believes that technology that's most likely to impact the future of the world economy is already here. It's not self-driving cars. It's not solar energy. It's not artificial intelligence. It's not quantum computing. It's blockchain. And he outlines what he believes the revolution will look like. And also he has an amazing uh, TED talk uh, that's free on YouTube to watch. So it's blockchain revolution by Don and Alan Tapscott plus his Blockchain Revolution TED Talk, maybe it's 14 minutes at best, an amazing summary of what the book is. And I would consider that my first go-to book to anybody I, uh, I, I meet that wants to learn about cryptocurrency and, and blockchain. And again, uh, grab a pen, put this down, write this one down. So Bill, again, give us the details. And you said there was a TED Talk to also watch with the reading of the book. Yes. So the title of the book is Blockchain Revolution. And the author, the authors are Don and Alan Tapscott. That's T-A-P-S-C-O-T-T, -T. Don and Alan Tapscott. So we'll be sure to check that out. And you mentioned that there is a TED Talk that goes along with that. We're going to talk, uh, by the way, some Twitter handles also in, uh, that, that are worthy to check out. But uh, give us another uh, book, uh, Bill, that's just a, a must read when you're, you're first delving into this. I think also the next book that had the greatest uh, impact on me was The Internet of Money by 
Andreas Antonopoulos. Andreas Antonopoulos, he came on the scene very early in, into the game, pretty much right after the Bitcoin white paper was written and people were you know, mining Bitcoin with laptop machines. He's a super, super smart guy, uh, you know, computer developer, and just the way he presents how money is going to move, like text messages. So like a lot of books just explain like how Bitcoin works and, and things like that. His book, The Internet of Money, delves into why the why of Bitcoin. So he's a, you know information security expert. He wrote a programming book basically for developers called Mastering Bitcoin. But for him, money is, money is language, money as content. How does Bitcoin scale? How is currency really an expression of language? So we think, like you and I, or most people think of money and currency as that paper thing we hold in our hand. But for him, money is language. It's, it's the First Amendment because it's code. Bitcoin is code, therefore covered under the First Amendment. So it's a really interesting take on Bitcoin and what money is. And I would say if there's anybody who has started the conversation, who's re, re, in, rekindled the conversation of what is money, is Andreas Antonopoulos. Because again, for him, it's very subjective. Money, we think of money as, again, those paper dollar bills. But for Andreas Antonopoulos, it's about community. Money is language. Money is, would two people freely come together? Um, it's an abstraction. It's not really, you know, money is money and then there's barter is barter. And, and money is like a shared cultural hallucination. And so it's really, really interesting to get his perspective on what money is, because, again, for him, it's a subjective abstraction. And that freaks people out because, again, we have this hierarchical structure in the United States. In the world, we have the uh, you know, Bank of International Settlements, the world, uh, you know, world organizations, the World Bank. And so, again, we think of it as very rigid, Cartesian, hierarchical. And for him, it's the opposite of all that. It kind of plays off that decentralized form in, 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 the, in the blockchain. Absolutely. And you know, I, I would say that Andreas is a libertarian. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know specifically. Uh, I, I wouldn't say he's an, anarch, an anarchist, but I think coming from a libertarian perspective and also, you know, having family that suffered through the, 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 the Cyprus bank, you know, money confiscation, right? Like back in 2000 and help me out here, 2012, yeah. maybe. Uh, yeah, when it, was, it was a bank... confiscation of Cyprus pounds, I believe. Right. So he had family that was affected by that. And thank goodness, thank God, he would say that his family actually owned some Bitcoin that he forced them to buy before then, because without a little bit of that currency, they would have never, they would not have been able to eat, you know, or pay their rent or their mortgage. So it's, he, he really gives a great explanation of Bitcoin as money, Bitcoin as language. And what is money? What is money? You mentioned the Cyprus issue, but a lot of economies around the world don't have a strong currency like the dollar, and, and that's even debatable because it loses value, but, I mean, not overnight. But there's a lot of third-world mm -hmm. countries where, I mean, you get paid on Monday, and what you got paid in the local currency doesn't even buy as much by Friday. And I think that's also a, 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 a big benefit of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in the blockchain. What, what are your thoughts on that, Bill? I totally agree. I, I believe that 
I, I didn't really think about it much until lately, but owning Bitcoin hard money versus fiat money, when you own hard money, your time perspective completely changes. You don't have to worry about finding the quickest investment. You don't have to worry about speculating or running out to the store and buying things. When you have strong money, and back in the day it was gold at one time, and now it's Bitcoin, you really have, it, it gives you freedom because you don't, you realize that your hard-earned work, which was converted into a currency, has stability. It has longevity. It's, it's strong. It, it, your money works as hard as you do. Uh, and, and so to be able to own a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or gold and other alternative asset classes, although people would say that even gold has suffered from really protecting investors from, from inflation, it changes your horizon. You really are able to build total wealth because you and I both are in technology and technology is deflationary. In other words, cell phones, computers, Netflix, like all these things that we use technology for gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper every single year. What makes things expensive? Homes, college education, healthcare, retirement, is everything that's denominated in U.S. dollars and everything that's touched by the U.S. government. If you want things to go expensive, let the government get involved with it because they don't have, um, they're not really responsible for their decisions in many ways. And so that's going to lead into my third favorite book, which is the Bitcoin Standard by a Lebanese economist named Saifedean Amos. Saifedean Amos. And his book, in my opinion, is the best, is probably the best of all three because he really gives an, a really great perspective of Bitcoin, how uh, he's an Austrian economist. So again, money is value, value is subjective. And you and I, and people who are small business owners and entrepreneurs, we have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of data points of how we are supposed to run our business based on profit and loss and expenses, efficiency. Central planners don't have to do that. They get a paid a salary and their, their benefit is to make decisions economically that, have, that they rarely are insulated from the consequences of. Like we see that with the pandemic and the lockdown. You know, what is the unseen, untold, unaccounted for cost of this lockdown? Uh, and, and so, again, I think that the Bitcoin standard by Lebanese economist Saifedean Emes is probably my favorite of, of the books mentioned so far. But, you know, there's really no bad books about Bitcoin. It's just some are better than others. So that's your favorite, though, out of out of the three there is the Bitcoin standard. Yes. And he actually in, in Saifedean actually just published a second book called The Fiat Standard that actually came out in November. It just hit the presses. It just made it out the door for shipping. And so that's another really interesting book because again, we look at the we look at the world around us, the cost of a college education and how students are not able to find work afterwards. Um, fiat science, fiat money, fiat healthcare, fiat everything. He explains everything. All our woes in a global society have their foundation in fiat currency and unsound money and inflation. Our food supply. It, it's you know what I'm, I don't want to be a spoiler here. But you have to read it because all of a sudden you're like, yeah, you know, that really makes sense. <laughs> because, you know, we grew up in the 60s, in the 70s when, you know, we didn't have, well, you know, school lunch programs were just getting started. And uh, it, it's just a really, really interesting perspective on uh, what fiat money has done to our home design, cost of homes, healthcare, and everything else. So those are my three, my three favorite books uh, on Bitcoin.
and then um, we, we we definitely want Twitter handles as well. That's a go-to source. Uh, some of your go-to Twitter handles when you're, uh, you know, getting information about crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and the like. So uh, give me give me your top couple uh, Twitter handles, uh, mm-hmm. your go-to Twitter handles when it comes to this stuff. I think, um, well, this, I can't say that I have a favorite. Like I said, they're all good. So one I like is Caitlin Long. Caitlin Long is comes from a world of traditional finance, you know, Goldman Sachs. She worked on a panel to help unravel the bankruptcy proceedings that happened in Detroit. Where were the stocks? Where were the bonds? Where is the providence, providence of all these, um, uh, these securities that were pledged in the pension plans? So I, and, and so she talks a lot about something called a rehypothecation when you when you lend securities over and over and over again. So it's at Caitlin Long underscore. She's really great. Again, kind of a mix of old traditional uh, finance and new world cryptocurrency. She's very active in the Wyoming, uh, uh, state of Wyoming, in letting them become more cryptocurrency and blockchain friendly. Uh, I can't remember the name of the bank, uh, Avent. Aventi, Avanti, she's working with a, created like a bank charter for, for blockchain uh, in Bitcoin in Wyoming. She's number one. Anthony Pompliano, he pumps out some great content, you know, a couple of hundred tweets every day. His handle is A Pompliano. Got to look for him. Uh, my third and fourth are Michael Saylor. Michael Saylor is the CEO of MicroStrategy. He is at Saylor, S-A-Y-L-O-R. He has a university that's free to attend. Again, very Austrian, very pro-Bitcoin. Uh, and, and to go back to Seyfedin, who is the author of those two books, The Bitcoin Standard and The Fiat Standard, he also posts really wonderful content, but very raw. I mean, he says, he says what's on his mind, and he does not cover it up. Uh, he, he's, he's kind of a, a blue-collar. For an economist, he speaks kind of blue-collar sometimes, right? And so um, got to be aware of that. And he is at S-A-I-F. E D E A N at Safedean. And so those are my favorites. There's probably three or four more. I got uh, I got that, one, that a good people... one for you too that I often Which uh, that? follow is uh and you'll be familiar with this name, Vitalik Buterin. He's the co founder of Ethereum. Um yes. you're familiar with uh Vitalik Buterin, uh, Bill? I am familiar with him, but I don't know if I follow him on Twitter. That's uh that's a great suggestion, Andy. I appreciate that. He is an active uh, Twitter user. So, um, you know, as we wrap up the week and, you know, talking crypto here, what has been your takeaway, Bill, from crypto activity over the last couple of weeks? My takeaway from crypto activity over the last few weeks. Um, okay, well, over the last few weeks, I would say there there has been a quiet following of something called the Bitcoin stock to flow ratio which is an economic model that commodity people use in order to determine how valuable a commodity is. And if you transcribe, if you, if you use and apply that model to Bitcoin, Bitcoin is expected to hit 93 or $94,000 per token at the end of November and running out of time and about 135,000 by the end of December. So there was a lot of people holding on and celebrating this rally up to about 66 to 68,000 in Bitcoin. And then what, yesterday morning, last night, uh, within the last 24 hours or so, we had Bitcoin trade down to about $53,000, $54,000. So, you know, we have to double in price by the end of December, which would be an amazing Christmas gift for a lot of Bitcoin holders. So, again, 
I find it interesting that this type of economic forecasting model has become incredibly popular in the last few weeks. And let's just see how this plays out because a lot of people are expecting Bitcoin to basically double in the next month and a half. Well, and I want, I think that that's want really to kind of pick up on that uh, as we wrap up our session today. Explain the rationale behind that. Get get into a little more detail because, as you mentioned, if that forecast comes to fruition, we're talking major, major gains here at the end of the year. So explain uh, the thought process behind that call. Well, I'll give you the cliff notes because – Getting deep into the economic model is what economists do, not, not traders like you and I. But basically, the, the theory is this. There is a economic model that's used for commodities called stock-to-flow ratio. In other words, how much inventory can be created in any given year versus how much of the commodity is being used. So it's a relationship between what's produced and mined in the instance of gold versus what is sold and used and taken out of circulation. So if gold is considered valuable because it's scarce, there has to be some relationship between how much gold they dig out of the ground versus how much goes into TV sets and jewelry and dental products and wherever gold is used. So if you use that footprint and you bring it over to the world of Bitcoin, you can say that 6.25 Bitcoin are created roughly every 10 minutes and only X number of Bitcoins can be created between now and the end of the year. And we take a look at how much Bitcoin is being used, how much is disappearing into wallets, how much is getting, for example, converted from Bitcoin to Ethereum, which then gets burned. Like how, how, what's the usage versus what can be created in any time frame? And by charting and using that information, just like you would gold, the Bitcoin stock to flow model ratio is predicting roughly $93,000 per token for Bitcoin in the next 12 days. Oh, my and, gosh. Is, I mean, that's unbelievable. Right? I mean, can you and imagine if that actually pans out? I know, right? And so that's, to me, is we're getting this deadline. Because I found the Bitcoin stock-to-flow ratio maybe four to six months ago, and I thought it was really interesting. But this Twitter handle, here's another Twitter, Twitter handle. It's Plan B. <laughs> Plan B is the name of the Twitter handle, and it's at 100 trillion USD. At 100 trillion USD, USD for US dollars. And so again, he outlines uh, almost on a daily basis what the current stock to flow ratio is and how much Bitcoin is trading either above or below that number. So it's a little bit like a Bollinger Band. It's a little bit like fair value or intrinsic value based on what is used and stored and taken off, off chain versus how much is actually being created by the miners and released into the economy. So I find it to be a very interesting Twitter uh, personality to follow. And again, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's speculation, it's forecasting, it's predicting. So there's no, no rules here, right? No guarantees. If it even comes anywhere closer uh, to that kind of return, I mean, wow, that's, that's what the gains listener is uh, looking Major for. Gains. I have no promises here. Yep. And I'm, I'm actually glad I didn't get panic and, or panicked when uh, Bitcoin just had its recent sell off. And uh, I actually, uh, took these lower prices and hopefully it pans out. I was actually dollar cost averaging at these lower prices. Didn't panic, held what I have and uh, 
did a little bottom fishing fishing here. Now it, it could be fruitless, and the markets, the Bitcoin market, could go much lower. But hearing that forecast makes me a little happy on this Friday afternoon, huh, Bill? Yeah, I totally agree. Again, I like to look at things using technical analysis and Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, and Bitcoin work on the far right of the overbought area, the 66, 68,000. 56,000 maybe is middle of the middle of the bell curve, middle of the, the average. And so it's possible we could trade a little bit lower, but honestly, uh, I, I was kind of holding back on any new purchases until we got a little bit of a pullback, and I'm, I'm really happy that we did that. So if we can combine technical analysis with the stock-to-flow ratio, I think we're on to something. And only time will tell. Uh, hey, real quick, yes. be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's uh, an option. Uh, hey, Bill, a great conversation as always. So let's leave uh, leave it at, at that, you know, on that, that okay. kind of optimistic news going into the weekend. So uh, thanks again for joining us today, Bill. Andy, thanks for having me. It's, it's always great being with you. We'll have you on again for sure. That's Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management in Glenview. That's SenecalCapital.com. That's C-E-N-A-C-L-E Capital.com. And again, hey, thanks for listening. Subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. We have uh, a a fresh episode dropping on Tuesday, so uh, be sure to check back in then so uh hey thanks again for listening got a good forecast going into the uh weekend and uh we'll see you on tuesday a news radio wbbm podcast powered by odyssey his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt and even after band camp he might not be the greatest musician But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this... A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places.